Welcome to Everything Leftover, our podcast on HBO's show, The Leftovers. My name is Justin Blizzard. I'm here with Keith Krepko. And I'm bringing my A-game tonight. Good. I'm not I'm not saying I haven't brought my A-game <laughs> before. Right. But uh, to be honest, I haven't brought my A-game before. <laughs> okay, wow. my C. Wow. My we, C+. Should really be into a treat, in for a treat then? You should be ready, because I've, right. I've brought it. <laughs> Good. Let's um, do this. Before we get into this week's uh, show, I wanted to do some catch-up things. I wanted to say, you know, thank you. We've had a handful of really positive reviews since the last show. Uh, You know, so thank you for the people who who are doing that. And uh, Why don't you name them by name? uh, Because I don't have it in front of me. (laughs) But like I said last week, if you want to know who they are, go into iTunes and check it out. And then leave us another review. Um, but yeah, thanks for that. And I wanted to give actually a special mention to, so I've been posting the past two episodes on Reddit and there's a user, uh, who is, who's named, uh, him or herself. I'd rather be lurking and they've provided actually a lot of really good feedback. Um, a lot of positive feedback. And so I just wanted to mention them specifically, uh, but I, I, they also brought up a really good point or something that I thought was a good point that we didn't really talk about um, during the last episode about that focused on Matt. And the point was kind of, the idea is kind of that as a preacher, as someone who is religious, does he have a responsibility to dispel the idea that this was a religious rapture? And if so, you know, how could he go about that that wasn't so aggressive or you know isolating you know yeah i think it's an interesting question i definitely i I feel like he does have the responsibility you know what i mean like if people are getting the wrong idea i I don't know i feel i guess it's a tricky line to walk i i would say he does i feel like it depends on what your what your view of the role of the minister is you know i think some people view ministers as just people who are supposed to be there to make me feel good when times are bad but if you think about if things actually did start playing out in a real way i would hope that some ministers would actually step up and be like all right guys i got this like let me explain to you what is going on and it seems like Matt's response is basically just to go as bananas as everybody else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you don't see his religious uh, kind of faith kicking in to help. You see it kind of fueling. Taking uh, over. Yeah, taking over. And, and maybe some bitterness it. because his wife's, um, you know, paralysis has was caused by someone who right. he feels unjustly disappeared. Well, and I think it's interesting. I have... Uh, I want to bring him up in tonight. He appears, makes one appearance mm-hmm. I think is interesting in last yeah. night's episode. Yeah. So I just wanted to um, sort of get your thoughts on that and say thanks to um, the Reddit use, user. I'd rather be lurking. Um, but we're just going to get right into it. And I think we're going to, we'll just follow what we did last week. We're, we're going to open talking about sort of the major themes from the episode, the bigger plot points, sort of the, uh, episode as a whole and then after we get done with that we'll sort of go through the timelines sort of point by Quickly. point that we, we want, that we want to bring up you know we're not going to talk about everything but just anything that sort of caught our eye um 
So the 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 uh, episode is called BJ and the AC, and we'll talk yeah. about the title a little bit later. But the 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 feeling that I got, I guess my initial take on it after watching it the first time last night was that uh, it seemed to be an episode about faith. Um, so you had Jill testing, maybe not testing her faith in her in her father, but maybe looking for it, sort of looking for something. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think that plays out. I think that's sort of like you were talking about with the, um, or I guess we were talking about this before we started recording. But, you know, she, she steals the, the baby Jesus from the, the nativity scene. And that whole thing feels like sort of a test for her father. And it feels to me like she's trying to get his attention, right? Yeah. And a lot of that attention seems to be diverted to Tom, who's in Gone. Texas, right? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, and, and to be fair, with what Jill is giving her father... Right. I don't blame him. My, yeah. I'd be like... I'd divert my attention to the one who isn't there in hopes that maybe they'd be a little more responsive to me than Jill is. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's it that's that's the feeling I got. She's sort of like she's more or less it's not a cry for help, I would say. That feels I guess a little dramatic, but she's just I think she's just trying to get her father's attention. Um and like I said, his attention is is mainly focused on Tom and and Tom or Tommy is he, his faith is being tested with the cult, right, and with Wayne, right. and um, <clears throat> and 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 it's kind of a overarching theme, you know, just especially carrying over from last week's episode that I didn't really expect, to be honest. I kind of thought the religious stuff was going to be contained with Matt, Matt, and maybe the guilty remnant. But this was definitely a very heavily religious episode. So that that you know really surprised me yeah I, I think this whole show surprised me in that way yeah i did not think it was going to be as religious in its focus mm-hmm. as it has been so uh teach their own i guess i'm you know and i really do think that i'm trying to make adjustments to the show i really am not trying to get caught up on my own hang-ups or my own ideas of what this show is trying to be. Yeah. In reading the book, it did set some expectations that I thought they were going to hold to. And they are still actually pulling a lot from the book in terms really? of plot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised about that. Yeah. But also where they're embellishing is largely like religious, you yeah. know, which which I find shot, you know, a little, a little surprising. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to make those adjustments. Too. And that also seems like, I mean, I guess anything, it's not Tom Parada's influence because it wasn't in the book, but it's, to me, it seems like that's probably Damon Lindelof's influence. Right. And that's something that he kind of brought into loss too. And Prometheus. Right? If you, yeah. if you read the backstory on what his, his plan was for the Prometheus story, yeah. it's heavily like Judeo Christian influence. Yeah. And uh, we also see Lori's faith being tested with the GR, with the guilty remnant, Um, you know, where she seems to be, she's still with the guilty remnant, obviously, but it feels like she's definitely like skirting some of the rules, you know, with, I'm pretty sure like um, the Patty, the head of the guilty remnant wouldn't be happy about 
her communicating with her husband through a surrogate, basically, so through right. a surrogate Meg. Or sitting outside her house. Or sitting outside the, the house, or at the end where you see her um, go back and try and get the discarded lighter. lighter. So, you know, her, her, her faith is wavering. Seems like at least it's wavering with the guilty remnant. Um, and then the last thing that you have on here is uh, Matt's faith something that you just brought up with the intro, but you know, this episode takes place. That's a game, Keith, by the way, <laughs> yeah. bringing in Matt <laughs> right. C game. Um, we'll let that one go. Yeah. Um, this episode takes place. I think they said six weeks um, or I, I guess they didn't say six weeks since the last episode, but they said right. something like six weeks have gone by. So I think we're assuming six weeks since the last episode, more or less, but some time has passed Right, the the last episode took place. I guess everyone is assuming maybe somewhere around mid October, and then so six weeks later would put this at Christmas time, which is when the episode's taking place. Yeah, or like Thanksgiving ish. Yeah. I, I I honestly I didn't pay a lot of attention to the timeline. Yeah, I so just, I'll go with you. I know somebody said six weeks somewhere, but anyways, you see, Matt's faith is still intact because he is at the end of the episode, putting his own baby Jesus back in the manger. Right. Yeah. And, and, and well, that's why I thought, I thought it was interesting as a continuation from last week's episode that the little uh, insight that we have on Matt is that obviously he's still a man of faith. Right. Even after everything that happened. Yeah. Um, and it made me really interested and intrigued to get back into his life yeah. uh, to see what he's doing now without a church. But obviously he still has this belief in, in God. Um, yeah. So I, th- I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And um, I was trying to keep with the idea of faith and I was trying to think of like how, what Kevin's connection could be, but like, he just kind of seems like a, you know what I mean? Like a kind of like a dope. Like not in a, like he's not stupid, but he just I guess he just kind of seems like a shell. You know what I mean? Like he's more or less just kind of reacting to everything around him. Yeah, I don't feel like he's controlling much. Well, I, I guess I would say in terms of Kevin, which again, <clears throat> I'm surprised that they didn't bring it up as much this episode either. Is his faith is in his own sanity, kind of, and we saw that from two, I guess that's true two episodes yeah. ago. You know that he is questioning his own faith and what he can see and what, what he believes just in, in a more real sense. Mm-hmm. So, but I think you could make that, I think you could stretch to make that work for him in this episode though. There's not much that he goes through that would make you right. He doesn't really deal with that at all. Well, outside of the car shutting off, but even, I mean, it's not dealt with. It just happens and the show moves on. Yeah. He doesn't obsess over it. Like the missing bagels. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I hope those bagels come back. Make yeah. a comeback. Um, so the second thing that this episode is obviously about is the Garvey family. There's a heavy emphasis on, or not emphasis, but it just centers around, you know, if, if last week's episode was all about Matt, this week's episode is all about the Garvey family. So like we said, you get um, the Kevin and Jill dynamics, which I know a lot of people have been ragging on the teenagers in the show. Um, yeah. and how they're written. Yeah. And they don't really strike me as one way or the other. You know what I mean? 
In terms of all the teenagers? Yeah, in terms of just, like, I don't think they're written terribly, but they're also not, like... They're not super compelling. Right. But I like that they are... Eh, I, I, I don't know. I guess I'd like to see how they play out. I was going to say I kind of like their their nihilism, mm-hmm. but I feel like the more you think about it, though, the more it does seem like the AV Club kind of did a write-up that it seems like a old man's idea of like mm-hmm. what teenagers acting crazy would actually look like. Yeah. And I don't know that it would be like how they're presenting it. But well, and they don't seem particularly nihilistic to me. Like, really? Yeah. They just seem like dummy teenagers. Right. You know right. what I mean? More yeah. or less just goofing around. Um, and then you've got the, the Kevin and Tom dynamic, which is explored. I guess it's not explored a lot. I mean, because they don't interact, but you learn some things about their relationships and big things. Right. Um, about, uh, Kevin not being Tom's biological father. Right. So that's something that, um, you know, I think if anything is, is it seems more or less like Tom and Christine will be, will be probably in, that's where they're headed. I'm guessing is Mapleton, right? It doesn't say, but I think, well, yeah, Tommy kind of says to nobody, which the amount of talking that he does to himself is like, I just want to be like, can you, give him another way to do this. Like, um, because he was talking to himself, like he was talking us through his scenes, you know, he's like, I I just want to go home, you know? So yeah, obviously we see that pull home. And then when the call doesn't come through in the way that he expects it to, I think you can kind of link up one plus one. He wants to go home. Holy Wayne hasn't called him. I guess they're going home. Yeah. You know, to Mapleton. Yeah. And and I think the problem that this episode had is is kind of the same one that the second episode has where you you feel like like all of this stuff that we're talking about between Kevin and Jill, Kevin and Tom outside of like the revelation that he's not his biological father, like that's not explored very deeply. It's just sort of like revealed. Right. But all of this stuff more or less is presented in the first episode. And in the second episode, you're left, like I said before, you're just kind of treading water. And I feel like you're there are definitely more revelations in this, but they still don't really do anything with them. Yeah. Um, and then you have the Kevin and Lori uh, confrontation, um, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But it, it's still, it, I mean, that really doesn't reveal anything. It's just as a confrontation between, I mean, the only thing it reveals, I think, if anything, is that Lori thought Kevin was a great father. And, and Kevin s- loves the F word. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, you can get that from the whole show. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I think that, you know, that, that moment is weird for me because he has a daughter who feels abandoned by him. Right. And he has a son who feels abandoned by a father. He doesn't say who, you know, that could eventually be, be revealed it's like because you see the picture with like tom and kevin and tom's like a baby right yeah but and then so underneath like, that you see the picture yeah but it's like if he if his... he was like a baby when his dad left how does he... <laughs> how does he really remember that and like you know when did kevin step in like i'm not i'm not trying to downplay that if some for anybody whose father left when they were a baby i'm sure that does have a lasting effect but right um the signals seem a little mixed right uh, but the the one thing that re- that I really started thinking about with this episode is is Lori, and I don't 
know how they're going to make her a compelling character or like a likable character because from my perspective Lori is a woman who for no good reason <laughs> has abandoned her entire family and continues to do so not only that she's abandoned her son who had already been abandoned by his biological father right, right. like she's completely like despicable right like she's unredeemable in my eyes i just don't like like I don't want her to. I just kind of want her to disappear altogether, <laughs> and for Kevin to move on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, it's interesting with with Lori when you finally get to hear her speak. I wanted to be like, that's what you write. Right. It's no one's fault. Right. You know, like that's such a cliche, and that's so not true. You know, right. that doesn't even go along with the guilty remnants I- ideology of it's no one's fault. Right. I mean, isn't it the fault of the departure? Wouldn't she be calling Kevin's ideas back to the departure? Like, Kevin, had not 2% of people disappeared, I'd still be here right. with you. Yeah. But instead, she says it's no one's fault. Right. I mean, that that to me was like either really poor writing. They didn't think it through. Like, how would... How would Lori really process this? Yeah. Or it shows Lori to be a really shallow thinker that after abandoning her family, <laughs> she comes like that's the insight that she's yeah. gotten is like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. I just I'm broken. Maybe I need to stay broken. Yeah. I, don't, I thought that was really cliche. It's too. all cliche. I'm broken and I maybe I'm just meant to. Bro- it's just like, ugh, like. Well, well, yeah, it's like I'm broken, but also it's no one's fault. But also because of the departure, I'm leaving and. Uh, you know, I just wanted to be like, where's her consistency? Yeah. You know, and so I agree with you. Although I would say she's despicable because she lacks consistency. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you, so you had written down here that you felt like the show was about stand-ins. Yeah, p- potentially. I feel like you know it opens up with, uh, you know, this time lapse of the baby Jesus. First of all, the, I thought the opening was great. Yeah. I thought in the baby factory, I actually love the black keys. So that was fine with me. And then the time lapse of the baby Jesus in the manger who then disappears. And then, you know, the whole show is kind of about trying to find a suitable replacement for this baby Jesus that's gone. Uh, and not thinking that you could ever find, you know, it has to be the original. Mm-hmm. But the, the the doll itself is a is a stand-in you know yeah. it's not like that original doll had any essence in and of itself that made it like jill refers to it later on sacred mm-hmm. when she's like you need to find it you can't mm-hmm. just replace it because it's sacred so um you know in in that idea you have this you know this episode lacked plot if there was a plot, it was finding the original Jesus or mm. wrestling with what could be a suitable replacement for, right. for Jesus. And that's not even like that's not I guess that's the biggest part of the show, that storyline. But it still is not it didn't feel like a major part of the episode. Yeah. And then and then you have, you know, Kevin, the the revelation that Kevin is not Tommy's biological father. Um, you have Kevin trying to act as a replacement for Lori and not being able to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, all these people who have left, you cannot find a replacement to fill that gap, whether they're good people or bad people. And Tommy's 
biological father abandoned him. So we can kind of, not knowing the situation, assume that maybe he didn't have a good reason for abandoning him. Especially when Lori's like, Kevin, you were there for me when I really needed you. So you, you have the feeling that maybe he was abandoned. He, he abandoned his family. <clears throat> yeah. Maybe he died. We don't know. Uh, but, you know, I think that overall the whole show is kind of about that theme. And I thought it ran through pretty heavy here in, in all those different ways. We have people trying to fill you know holes left by people who've left or departed or whatever and just not being able to to find that mm-hmm. and only the original thing could actually fill that fill that space which i think then goes back to the manger metaphor of you know this jesus that they have ideas of that the mayor says like make sure he's white you know mm-hmm. and, and, and all that is an approximation it's a you know um the 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 vox uh, article uses the word idolatry mm-hmm. which which i thought was interesting you know um it's it's an idol it's a representation of mm-hmm. so i i thought that that was an interesting theme running through um i i may agree that it would be a secondary theme more than a primary yeah. but i think it's there yeah and i think the i think it kind of speaks to to the what the guilty remnant are doing in the episode um when they start stealing everyone's pictures. But before we talk about that, like has the, has this episode given any clarification to the guilty remnant, what they stand for, what their purpose is? It's all still ambiguous. Right? Is that, is that how you feel? I'm more interested well, in. I, 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 I posted something on Reddit earlier this week or last week where I was trying to work out this, um, idea, uh, Someone had found the, I guess the Guilty Remnant have a website that was created, I'm guessing for the show, maybe it was created for the book, who knows. Either way, it's like a Guilty Remnant website. And on it, they have a a frequently asked questions section, and the questions and answers are interesting. Yeah. And it sort of started, um, started me thinking that maybe the Guilty Remnant are... Um, without going into too much of like the Bible stuff, because first of all, I don't, I'm not really not familiar with it. So I'm not that, <laughs> I don't really know what I'm talking about. Right. Um, but the, I believe there's this idea of, you know, uh, the tribulation starts with a rapture, correct? In some circles, some circles. And then it ends with Jesus coming back and saving the people who are left over, right? Who didn't get raptured. Mm-hmm. And my thought is the guilty remnant think that they are those people who are going to be saved when Jesus comes back. And so everything they're doing is anticipation of that. So they're trying to get people to stop dwelling on the past and start preparing for the future, which is Jesus's return in four years because the show takes place three years after the departure. Right. Now now we're like three and a half years in. Three and a half yeah. years, right. Um, and so that's kind of was my thinking. And it, I think it plays a little bit off the dynamic of them and Matt, how they could be such enemies because Matt is so caught up with disproving the past, whereas the Guilty Remnant are basically saying, get over it and get ready for what's ahead of you. And I think that also speaks to their language of, you know, we don't smoke for pleasure. We smoke to proclaim our faith. The smoking could be a sign of 
futility, you know what I mean? Of like, we're going to smoke because in four years we're all going to be right. dead anyways. Right. A, a, of an impending judgment. Right. You know? Um, but to that point, I don't, for me, the show didn't do anything to strengthen or weaken that point at all. Uh, I mean, I guess as, as heavily religious as this episode was, I didn't feel like any of that was directed towards the guilty remnant. They still seem to be pretty nebulous and sort Mm -hmm. of pretty neutral on that point, maybe. Well, I I think that's one thing that I really do want some answers on the guilty remnant. The book shed some light a little bit on some of what they're about, Mm -hmm. but not a lot. So... I don't have a lot of insight to, to tell you about what their beliefs are. I do have a sense of where they're going as a, as an institution yeah. or as a cult. Yeah. Um, but you know, so I think that's an interesting, interesting take, but I agree. This episode had big revelations in it that smelt that smelled. Okay. It's late. That felt small. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and no, none more so than the guilty remnant who, you know, they even even their act of stealing photos yeah. in a digital age to me is a perfect analogy for them. It's futile. It's like, why would they why would people who are trying to get you to stop wasting your breath, waste their breath and time stealing your digital photos that yeah. you can just go on your computer and reprint. Right. Yeah, you know I mean, like yeah, or or those pictures, does anybody even look at pictures you hang on? That's you, what I was going to say. Your... I bet people don't even have that many pictures <laughs> up in their house anymore. <laughs> right. You know, I'm I want to know I want to see the families who come home and don't even recognize that the pictures are gone for like <laughs> a month. Yeah. And they're like, oh, wait, something's wrong. Oh, yeah. yeah, we have no no pictures. Yeah, yeah. It, it would have been more appropriate if it was just like a montage of them like uh, hacking into people's Facebook accounts and like deleting their deleting. digital albums. <laughs> there you go. Stealing yeah. hard drives yeah. of information. Yeah. There's a statement. Yeah. Ugh, not stealing digital photos. Yeah. But it kind of speaks to the um, stand-in thing that you're talking about, where they're they're maybe the guilty remnant are viewing these photos as as stand that uh, that they're viewing the photos as the family That's viewing the photos as stand-ins for the people who were departed, or or that they are assuming that those pictures may have value, sentimental value, yeah. as as being right. the originals. So even if you were to reprint out that picture, it's just isn't going to be the same picture. That's an interesting idea, I guess. Yeah. And the last thing I want to talk to talk about with the guilty remnant is the is they are basically mimes, right? They don't talk, so they're mm-hmm. all action. But I mean at least the the idea I that I have is mimes are pretty widely ridiculed for being like stupid, like yeah. dumb, you know what I mean? Like they're goofy. So it's like you've got this group of people that's supposed to be maybe menacing or serious, and they just come off as like silly because it just is a lot of eye eye squinting and like scrunching up their faces or like Lori's like constantly like she's got like hangdog look on her face and her mouth droops open <laughs> and it just is like 
You're just waiting for them to talk. You know what I mean? Or drool to, yeah, <laughs> to pour out of their mouth. Anything. It just makes it just is. It makes them seem like bad actors, right? Because you know they should be saying something. They should be expressing themselves in some way. But because they can't, they have to do it by like walking extra sassily, or you know what I mean? Like <laughs> making these really. I'm trying to remember a guilty remnant. Lori, Lori does. Sassy. Lori does. She walks sassy. Like, she walks in a way that I feel, and this is, uh, I will freely recognize, this is probably nitpicking, but I think after she drops the lighter in the sewer grate, she walks away in a way that I felt like she wouldn't have walked away if she had just, just been like talking him. to somebody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if she would have been able to just like express herself verbally, she wouldn't have then like flared her hip out or whatever she does and i could just be nitpicking and it could just be you know because i have all this built up anger towards the guilty remnant because i just feel like the acting is so bad right i i do feel like and i like ann dowd who Mm -hmm. plays patty i do feel like that opening um section uh again it it felt to me like we were back in the therapist's office you know it just felt really overdone and her react like number one i was like would she really go even meet with kevin right you know and how did kevin get her to to come to him Mm -hmm. uh and then their whole interaction to me that that scene ends too with kevin being like people just want to be with their family blah 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 i'm like kevin do you not see what the guilty remnant are about they're they're about everything that you said let these people be about right so you're you're actually like making the case to her like please come to this event people just want to forget well you know? yeah I and, mean, and he's obviously goading her into bringing the guilty remnant there because he that. wants to right them. but it's still it still feels less like a genuine exchange and more like like the issue that you had with the last episode it feels more like writers trying to set up a confrontation yeah right? and as soon as as soon as uh, one of the cops was like um Kevin's talking, and then out of nowhere, one of the cops is just like, yeah, and then as soon as they step on cool school property, they're ours. We'll get them. It's like, as soon as he said that, I, I, I knew exactly what was going to happen. They're yeah. just going to stand off of school property. You know what I mean? It just yeah. felt a little strained. And I feel like just with the guilty remnant, if anything, they should just be completely stone-faced all the time, right? If if they're if they're worried about people wasting their breath, they shouldn't be reacting to anything. Like yeah. Ann Dowd should just be sitting there across from Kevin Garvey, completely stone-faced. Oh, and she was letting it right. fly. And she's very animated. Yep. And then she's scribbling down, you know, there is no f- such thing as family or whatever she writes. And right. it just is like, I feel like it would be, just be so much more effective if she was just sitting there and you know, as soon as he's done talking, she just is already ready for her response. She writes it down and shows it to him, but and uh, she's writing with a Sharpie. Could you (laughs) write with a more annoying (laughs) marker? (laughs) Yeah. Which also they don't last very long, right? Like these guilty remnant are very wasteful. They're they're burning through our resources. Yeah. They just don't care. And, um, I had something else written down here about the guilty remnant, but I won't uh, read it verbatim for fear of uh, angering uh, PVD mm. again. But I do. I would like to know if you are a or were a guilty remnant sympathizer. How do you feel after this episode? Justin's outing you. <laughs> I'm just curious. Get out. Come because out. after the first two episodes, there was a lot of people that were just like, 
I like the guilty remnant. I associate with them or whatever, or I can sympathize with them. And I just feel like the further we're getting into the show, yeah. the farther we should be getting away from that. Or I feel like people would be getting away from that because the guilty remnant are kind of revealing themselves to not be likable people. Right. Like, you know, what sets them off most of all? It's like a dance. They just can't stand the <laughs> right. dance. They yeah. have to show up, you know, yeah. or they have to break in your house and, and steal your photos. Yeah. Like, and so far their two demonstrations have not been like, right. Like they're asking people, I guess, oh, I guess that that leads to the sort of, we don't know what their message is because at first it was like, well, they want people to recognize that things have changed and so they interrupt like a ceremony where people are recognizing that things have <laughs> changed. Things have changed. And then the second thing they interrupt is a dance. Right. It's like, and and they and they interrupted the unveiling of the most horrifying statue <laughs> right. in Mapleton that will that no one will be able to forget. Oh yeah. Yeah. A mother's baby was taken away. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, it just seems so muddled, and you know, it has to come out. Like that, that that's a, a mystery that has to be answered. Yeah. What's the guilty remnants baseline right. like motivation? And I think it will be answered. But right now, it is starting to get to the point where you're like, if I have another demonstration or God forbid, two more demonstrations of them, you know, uh crashing a kid's birthday party <laughs> and you know, I don't know, the opening yeah. of a new store showing yeah. up and getting real pissed off about it. I, I I don't see how anybody could not just be frustrated. Even the writer's room might be like, oh man, we have to write another <laughs> guilty remnant scene where they, yeah. you know, st- steal people's uh, uh, family memorabilia, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, so that was the sort of the, I think the biggest uh, movements of that episode. Um, so we'll move on into just sort of the little the the smaller things that we noticed or picked up on throughout the episode. So let's talk real quickly about general impressions of the episode. What did you think of the episode as a whole? Good. Did not like it. Yeah. It was pretty bad. Yeah. It was pretty much a turd. <laughs> and um, and it gets uh worse the more I think about it honestly. Like I wish it got better. Yeah. So okay, so so far in the series episode 2 is the low point. Is this lower than episode 2 for you? I don't think so, just because maybe I'm more invested by this point. Mm-hmm. So I really did try and focus on the positives of this episode. I'm not going to say that there are none, yeah, but they're few and far between, and they are swallowed up by large chunks of crap, you know, throughout this primarily crap named Tommy. Yeah, yeah, I, I and I I would agree. Uh, I I think the second episode is still the low point but only because this had more revelations in it. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's it's just as bad in that it's still treading water. There's still not much happening, but you still get some a couple pretty important pieces of information. Yeah, and before we move on, I just want to say, if you hear some sort of weird, like, slobbery <laughs> gnawing in the background, it's because my dog is laying right next to us and he's like munching on his nails. It is the grossest thing I've ever seen in my life. And <laughs> I can't, I think he may have like, he may have gone feral, right? Like he could be one of the feral dogs in the show. He's turned a corner tonight. 
and he's closest to me, so I'm <laughs> terrified. <laughs> yeah, you get a you get a full showing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, so the title of the episode was BJ and the AC. I think it's pretty universally accepted that BJ stands for Baby Jesus, and AC is somewhat open to interpretation. Although I would say most of the stuff I read, either uh, you know, like the Vox article, I think talks about it the most. Um, but also on Reddit, the, they seem to agree that AC stands for Antichrist, which would make sense, especially if mm-hmm. BJ stands for Baby Jesus, uh, which is could be very interesting because we are introduced in what could be an Antichrist-like storyline with uh, the revelation that Christine is pregnant with Wayne's baby. And I think it's pretty notable that I think both of us are pretty anti-Christine. Right, <laughs> right. That's a good point. Huh? That's a good point. It could be baby Jesus and the anti Christines. <laughs> um, There's a band name in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But something I picked up from the Vox article is uh, he wrote the term Antichrist, contrary to popular belief, doesn't actually mean against Christ. The Greek prefix can also mean instead of. The false messiah is the one who comes instead of the real Christ, which would make a lot of sense given uh, Wayne's moniker of Holy Wayne. And I can't imagine Wayne think thinking of himself as being evil or delivering something into the world that is evil. Right. But instead, Wayne himself being a false pro- prophet could be, um, and then Christine could be incubating the ultimate false prophet, I guess. <laughs> The ultimate false hugging prophet. Right. <laughs> the Antichrist is going to be a hugger of epic proportion. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, but so uh, I was trying to think of okay, if it doesn't stand for Antichrist, what else could it stand for? I mean, Antichrist was not my first. Oh really? Thought. What was yeah, your first? It one? wasn't. My first thought was nothing. My first thought, oh. honestly, of AC was air conditioning because that's what I'm used to. And I, AC, I yeah. realized that doesn't make any sense. So then I, the the other thing I thought was it could potentially stand for acting chief, right? Because Kevin's the acting chief, right? He took over his dad's. I I literally spot. hate that idea. Yeah. Oh no, I, I don't. I'm not saying it's a good <laughs> idea. It's just what I thought of. But I think it's very clearly Antichrist, right? And yeah. It's, and I but and and to that point, I think that that idea that Holy Wayne and Christine are are harboring the Antichrist is really interesting like yeah I like that a lot well and, and then to me I feel like now we're caught in this weird middle ground where they are moving us more towards a biblical understanding of the end times in this right not only right. in their in their titles but also in how they're introducing characters and all that stuff if they keep this at the thematic level I think I'm going to be really disappointed you know if this does not turn out to be the antichrist you know if it's like well we just use antichrist as a metaphor for you know the false prophet that wayne of wayne's child or whatever i now feel like they they're getting to the point where they have to commit wholly right to either this kind of spiritual understanding where season eight is going to literally be like um, Armageddon with <laughs> valleys of blood. Going to be season eight, the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. Like yeah. you either have to do that or you have to start pulling back now because you can't play this game of constant hint, 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 pull back, hint, 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 pull back. You know, yeah. you 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 need to 
commit to this and not be like, yeah, our titles are all biblical references, right. but the shows themselves go totally against those. Like, isn't that clever? Yeah. Oh, that, that'd be so frustrating. Yeah. And I'll, I'll throw this out now because I know I won't remember it to say it later, but it, it it's like you said, they're, they're either going to have to go in whole hog or they're going to have to pull way back. And I've, this is something that I'll talk about a little bit later, but I, for me, I feel like it would be better if, you know, we could we could have watched the whole first season or whatever, and then you know, a month or two months afterwards, somebody releases this long, uh, uh, sort of analyzation of the first season, saying like, you know, let's say the title's not BJ in the AC, it's just a something normal or whatever, mm-hmm. and this person is like, if you look at all of th- these things, this is why I think that Wayne and Christine are sort of metaphors for bringing in the Antichrist. Yeah, right. I mean, because it's never mentioned at all in the episode, really. Right. It just is the title, right? You're giving everything away with the title. Or you're letting the title do all of the work, basically. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. But anyways, so the the show, the episode opens with the baby being made and the Black Keys song, I'm Not the One, playing. And uh, he, uh, in the Vox article, he wrote some of the lyrics out. I can't remember them exactly. Yeah, I listened to the song today, Driving Home. Yeah, but the most important one, obviously, is just the chorus where he repeats, I'm not the one. one. (laughs) Do you think there's any significance to that being played over that sequence? Or do you think it is more or less just a broad metaphor of abandoning your idols? Right. Or... Or I should say, abandoning false idols. Yeah, I I definitely listened to the song, and quickly, it's one of those songs that you realize they did pick it for, uh, like the chorus because mm-hmm. the rest of the song obviously does not yeah. work. Uh, so I think pretty much, yeah, take it at face value. It it almost feels like they plugged in the theme of this, like, like I said, like one of the themes is. Uh, replacements, you know, secondaries, mm-hmm. and they just came up with, oh, Black Keys have a song called "I'm Not the One." Yeah. Should we listen to that? Yeah. Oh, hey, that kind of fits. Like yeah. it almost feels like it was like that. Like yeah. Uh, so I I agree. There's no real insight that the song itself, uh, I think, uh, proposes to the to the episode other than reemphasizing this idea that from the beginning, this baby Jesus that everyone is not everyone, but Kevin is going to be so focused on is not the one like you're starting from a basis of, of idolatry, you know, it's, it's all idolatry. Yeah. And that's, that's something I wanted to talk about too. So after, so pretty early on in the episode, uh, we're with Tom and Christine who are somewhere in Texas or they're in Amarillo, Texas, but they're at some kind of like, uh, maybe like a hostel yeah, with a bunch of other potentially like cult members, right? Or a, new, a newer cult. Although these people didn't have the bullseye. Yeah. Their head. Yeah. Later on, uh, Tom adopts the, the look of the barefoot people. Right. But uh, we cut to Tom and Christine. They're doing whatever, but they, uh, they are in my eyes, they are just terrible actors. Like maybe not terrible actors, but they're terrible in this show. Like they're not written well. And to me, all of those scenes, Tom, Christine, 
it all feels like it's from a completely different show. You know what I mean? Like the acting is way over the top. Like like you think about the scene, um, and you had mentioned this to me when we were uh, IMing back and forth. The scene where Tom is trying to like comfort Christine in the lobby of the hospital, <laughs> and they're both like like swaying and twitching their bodies and like Tom is like rubbing and it just is so weird, right? Honestly, it, it was so weird. This was what I compared it to and it honestly, I don't think makes a lot of sense but it's, it's literally the only image that makes sense when I think about the way that he was comforting her and it's like he's comforting a gorilla who's... <laughs> Finger painting didn't turn out the way that the gorilla wanted it <laughs> right. to. It's like really rough shoulder pats <laughs> yeah. and kind of nervous looks over the shoulder around him. Yeah. Like he doesn't know what he's doing. This gorilla could maybe turn on him. It, he just seems so uncomfortable and just bizarre. And the way that he's getting really aggressive with her. I just want right. to be like, Tom, you, you can't just calm down for one second and talk yeah. to her like, normally about everything that happens like what'd you say to him and patting her right yeah it was it was bizarre yeah and and this is this is coming from the guy who was like i guess more or less like risking his life to bring her gummy bears or gummy worms or whatever right right and it's like at some point he went from the tom who knew that like she was in love with wayne and they were sleeping together but still being in love with christine to the Tom who knew all that stuff and now he hates her gut. Like, nothing has changed. Right. Like, he's, you know what I mean? Like, he started out knowing that they were sleeping with each other and that they loved each other or whatever. But now, for some reason, he's, like, overly aggressive towards her. Right. I, I mentioned this, too. One of the, the few notes that I made during the episode is that their relationship is too antagonistic. It, it Straight yeah. from... The beginning of their scene together, I was like, these people need to dial it back. Right. Because they did not set up, number one, why they would be so antagonistic against each other. Maybe stuff has gone on to make him frustrated with her and her with him. But, again, referencing the book, their relationship in the book is really good. Mm -hmm. And they support each other. Tommy seems like a nice kid. Mm -hmm. And this, again, seems like in in the show adaptation... Kevin's angrier. Tommy's angrier. I feel like they just cranked up the angry uh-huh. on all their characters <laughs> yeah. and they forgot to like, you know, maybe add some other nuances or where other ways you could uh, make these characters uh, kind of, you know, p- p- portray their inner turmoil yeah. rather than rage. Yeah. Yeah. And to address the half naked man and the, that starts attacking Christine. Yeah. Um, I just, I thought it was really funny and I really liked that. Like, as soon as I got on Reddit after the show was over and, and got into the discussion thread, people were referring him, referring to him as uh Donald duck because he's wearing only a blue t-shirt and like he starts like speaking gibberish when and he gets no, angry and no pants <laughs> and no pants. And no pants. Right? Uh, so I just thought that was really funny. But, and then somebody said um, that he's actually speaking Greek Right. Mm -hmm. And all he's doing when he's speaking Greek is he's he's saying the exact same thing he said in English, just in Greek. So like he's translating himself. Right. But because you're not given any subtitles and you're and I think even if you have the subtitles turned on, it still doesn't tell you what he's saying. It's left 
to be mysterious. And this is kind of like something that is a can be a big issue with Damon Lindelof. It's kind of like this thing is, I feel like, being added, like it's mystery for mystery's sake, right? And if he was saying something in Greek, even if it was just like maybe different parts of the dream that he was talking about earlier, if it wasn't just exactly what he was saying in English, it would be interesting. Yeah. But instead it's just as like, why is he speaking two languages? Right. Why is he just repeating himself in two languages? Well, it goes it goes back to, and I won't dwell on this because I did not like this episode, but I honestly do not want to get caught in the weeds of my own like dissatisfaction. But yeah, who sleeps in a shirt that small with no <laughs> bottoms? Right. You know, in the middle of the day, it looked like. So he was taking a nap apparently in this hostel. And run runs out to speak Greek and English at the girl who was in his dream. Yeah. It just, the whole thing, I guess, you know, could have come off as creepy and weird. Instead, it came off as kind of uh, bizarre in a in a banal way. Right. It was like, oh, yeah, look, a naked dude right. speaking Greek and English. It was, Instead of being like genuinely bizarre, it was just a very obvious grab at being bizarre. Right. right. I wonder whose idea was for him to go pantsless too. I, I hope it was the actor. <laughs> yeah. He's like, don't tell anybody. I got a great idea. Yeah. Make sure you're on all their faces. This is going <laughs> to blow them away. Something else I thought was really weird or really funny. And this is not uh, in that scene, but it, it's later on when uh, Tom runs into the cult members with bullseyes painted on their foreheads. Like, Apparently, they have bullseyes painted on their forehead so they can be identified when Jesus does come back or when the next rapture happens. And I just really think the the line of thought of <laughs> we need to mark ourselves visually so Jesus knows who to take when he comes back is really funny. And I mean, like the idea of like Jesus coming back and being like, like, now, who did I come here for? Well, maybe that's how they explain the first departure. Yeah. You know, believers and non-believers alike, it's because Jesus got confused. Right. Yeah, that's true. So now they need to yeah. make it clear so this for time him. Jesus is like, wait a minute. Oh, right. I'm here for all these dummies with pain on their forehead. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> who I need. Well, doesn't it bring up the, it brings up the question too, just like going back to the guilty remnant. How are these people picking out their theology? Yeah. You know, if you if you believe this is somehow an act of God and you look at, you know, religious ideas of rapture or there's only a handful that you kind of whittle down to. And then you kind of come to the Judeo-Christian idea, which seems to be the one most informing this experience. Yeah. And then what, what do you do from there? Yeah. Like, uh, so this seems like maybe the Bible is doing this. Let's not read the Bible, though. I think we should put bullseyes on our head, you know, or the guilty remnant. Like, obviously, something happened. We can't forget. Um, so, therefore, we're not going to talk. Yeah. It's like, well, what what fueled that? Or, you know, and let's smoke. There's no theology basis for that. Yeah. I mean, why would you toss out the whole, you know, be good to your neighbor uh, in for steal pictures from your neighbor's mm -hmm. house? Mm-hmm. They smoke in the book, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, and, and just quickly, the last point of that is the Vo the Vox article does mention that the bullseyes are kind of a stand-in for the Mark of the Beast, which, again, I like where that's going. Just how it's being impl implemented is a little wonky. 
Well, yeah, and I, I like the idea, just like that Vox article, I like people who have a take on a show. Yeah. I think that, I don't think he's right about that, mm-hmm. but, you know, I like the fact that in his interpretation of the show, yeah. it could represent that because that would never have occurred to me. Yeah. Yeah. And something else, uh, you know, I was talking a little bit about the Greek guy being mysterious for mysterious sakes. I feel like that also applies to the chief's car cutting out, right? You know, he's just cursing. He just starts cursing like crazy, and then his car cuts off, right? And it just is like, and then knowing that, the show just moves on. Mm-hmm. He's after that. He's seen driving the hunter's truck, right. which could be significant or not. It could right. mean something or not. But it, I don't. I feel like it's either going to be not not acknowledged at all, like it's just going to be like whatever. Or it's going to come back and be like, yeah, it was just like your battery died or something. You know what I mean? Something just like totally banal or normal. Just, But then it's like, well, what's the point of having his car cut out right when he's cursing? Like, why did you write that? Are you writing that just to be like, it could be this thing? You know what I mean? Or is there a significance to it? Did they update emergency brakes in newer cars? Because I feel like... (laughs) He was going like 40, and the emergency brake stopped him cold going 40. I've driven half of a day with my emergency brake on. Yeah, that's you true. Know? I've backed out of my driveway with my emergency brake on and made it to the end of my street until I realized my car is driving kind of sluggish. Kind of sluggish, right? Yeah. It doesn't slow you down in the way that it did with this. And so that, that was another thing that I was like, yeah, it just seemed, yeah, like a bizarre another bizarre uh, happening um, that was unexplained. Yeah. And then you're like, yeah, are the showrunners as uninterested in that to explain it? Right. Like they're like, we need something to happen. We, we, or we just need another portentous thing. Yeah. In this episode. Yeah. And this is my, this is my prediction for, this is my prediction for the car. Okay. He's going to be at the mechanics, right? The mechanics going to be like under the hood, like, you don't really see what he's doing. You just see the hood up. And then the mechanic's going to call him over. He's like, Chief, you know, Chief, come look at this. And he gets over there and he goes, do you know what this is? And the Chief looks down and it's like a bunch of bagels just like mashed onto the spark plugs or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so the, the, the bagels are disappearing into his car or exactly. is he That's exactly disassociating right. Or someone is like playing a them. prank on him. Right? Uh. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. If you want to prank Kevin, go after the bagels. He's already shown his weakness. Right. <laughs> yeah. And the whole reason he's driving that car is because, and, you know, we might be nitpicking because we didn't like the episode. But the whole reason he's driving that car is because the mayor of the city, the person who is most responsible for the well-being of the entire city, has tasked Kevin, the chief of police, the head of all police operations to go buy a doll from the store. And it just is like how like it just is such a terrible setup for the episode. You know what I mean? It's because he needs to win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's because he needs a win, which at the end of the episode, we realize he doesn't need a win because nobody cares about the baby nobody doll cares. except for the mayor and his daughter, I guess. And his daughter is the one who stole it. Well, and, you know, and I know that this is the point. And, you know, the episode ends with him throwing the baby out of the window and just right. discarding it. I know that that's a thematic point. But 
to me, it did feel circular in a bad way where I didn't get much insight into these characters. I just saw Kevin go on an annoying quest. And then the, and then the other thing too is, um, why didn't the mayor just say, you need to win? Therefore, tonight in my speech, I'm going to thank you for being a great chief. Right. There's yeah. a win. You know, yeah. show, show some confidence in your, in your chief. Don't make him go get a doll. Right. Don't give him this sort of half-hearted introduction to the crowd. Right? Right. Um, but yeah, and this, again, this is something I'll talk to at the end of the episode, but I feel like it would have just been a lot more organic or better if it just the baby disappears and the mayor's like tells him uh go buy a new doll or if the mayor's not involved at all and and Kevin just gets obsessed with it like he did with the bagels right like yeah. that seems to be his personality at least from the bagel thing yep. how come when the baby disappeared he wasn't just like his curiosity wasn't sparked like with the bagels right right to go and find it uh but anyways and uh, another quick thing I wanted to talk about. Despite how bad of an episode this was and how much I didn't like it, I absolutely loved the like five or ten seconds you get of the twins rapping in unison. <laughs> like their voice is so weird, right? <laughs> and then to hear them rapping uh, in unison, it was just like if someone could like take that ten second clip and loop it, I would listen to that on YouTube for like hours on end. Please probably. do that for him. <laughs> it, you know what got me though was the, actually the half-hearted applause that Kevin got to announce yeah. that he found the original baby. I actually like that too in a, in a yeah. bad episode, and to have that followed by the the, the twins made a pretty good. Yeah, well, I One, think two punch. I think the applause. I mean, it serves a purpose definitely, and I think it certainly speaks to the apathy that yeah. the town or people in general are feeling towards religion. Right. But it it just it I, it would have worked better. I feel like if the whole motivation for finding the baby was this weird obsession that Kevin got yeah. instead of him being ordered to do it. You I know? agree. I agree. Um, you, I mean, it's it's more telegraphed that way. You know, with him being ordered to do it and Kevin being like, why? It, you're just autographing or autographing you're 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 foreshadowing how people are going to react to it right instead of it being like this thing that he obsesses over and then it's just like why is nobody as concerned about this yeah um the blank guilty remnant pamphlet that they give tom was also like genius like like mm -hmm. tom says you know, this is, you know, clever or whatever. And it was clever. Right. <laughs> I like, guess really clever. A pamphlet that says everything you need to know about yourself is inside and the inside is completely blank. And I guess it's just as funny to me, like more on a practical joke sense. Right. Than anything. What, 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 yeah. I love too, that they gave that to Tommy who is kind of a exactly empty blank yeah. pamphlet of an actor. Yeah. Uh, so we were talking about the dance at the end. The dance at the end ends with, uh, the chief walking down the hallway and running into Nora. What, what did you think about that exchange between Nora and the chief? Well, it doesn't go exactly the way in the show, but that's from the book. Uh, oh, is bumps, it? Yeah, he bumps into Nora in the in the hallway of the high school, and uh, they have a moment there. Um, again, my recollection of the book is that Kevin did not uh, have an affair. Again, people can correct me. Did not care for the book very much. Uh, so I may have forgotten. So that kind of comes down to his confession to Nora. 
that he cheated on his wife. That's kind of the reason for that scene right. being there. And in her confessing that she's found out that her husband cheated on her. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, I guess as a writer, I could see writing that scene and being like, okay, I got this scene. That's good with the, with the nice little punch at the end. Like, mm-hmm. I think I heard it. Mm-hmm. I don't know though, if I was on set, the two, you could have Tom Hanks and, uh, and, uh, uh, oh man, what's her name? I just blanked on the actress. Meg Ryan? No, because she's not, she, she wouldn't sell it. Thompson is her last name. Thompson? Yeah. She's no to be married to Kenneth Branagh. Anyway. <laughs> nope. We're, we're, <laughs> we're off in the weeds. Anyway, uh, my A game. My A Emma game Thompson? is slipping. Emma Thompson. Mm-hmm. You could have Tom Hanks and Emma Thompson. And I think as a writer, as soon as I heard them act, I'd be like, Hey guys, can I see those scripts? <laughs> let's uh, let's cut let's, this last line. <laughs> yeah, let's cut this last line. Let's not. I mean, the I think I just heard it. I was like, gross. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a little cringy. Yeah, yeah, I just did not. I did not like that button. Yeah, on that. Yeah, I I agree. It it it's a. <laughs> I feel like it's pretty a pretty well handled exchange, uh, for something that could probably be pretty easily, um, wrongly handled to put it sort of poorly but our language is slipping yeah it's getting late but we're losing our words yeah it, it was it's interesting you know it's you know it, it was interesting and something that we talked a little bit about before we started recording is it definitely seems to be setting up a kevin nora if not relationship like tease of you know what i mean or like yeah. a or like a sort of a background yeah thing that they can always sort of go to when they need right. it right which what are we going to fill these last five minutes be annoying with? right <laughs> yeah uh we'll just have kevin and nora not talking to each other at dinner yeah but something that it does uh it well it does finally reveal what everyone assumed after the first episode where it flashes back to the chief having sex with somebody during the departure right um so it it uh, it confirms that, but you also realize from Lori's divorce speech, or at least you think Lori doesn't know about it right. because her divorce speech is all about how great of a husband he is. I don't think she would be saying that if. Well, she she says he he was perfect. Like yeah. she uses that language, which of course is why anybody would leave somebody yeah. because they're perfect. Yeah. Uh, and then the last thing I wanted to talk about, and I'll throw this to you to sort of get your thoughts on it. This is something that I, I, I felt when I first, when I watched the show for a second time and I was watching the opening with the camera zooming out and the, you know, you have the different sort of, you've got the guilty remnant standing in front of the manger or the nativity scene. And then you have the feral dog sort of sniffing around it. Right. And I, I sort of got this vision of like a show sort of along the lines of like Twin Peaks or uh, kind of along the lines of the podcast uh, Welcome to Night Vale. Yeah. Where it's more, it's kind of more about the city and the city's uh, sort of like nature or I guess it's just as about sort of like the setting, right? Um, and I've just felt like this show for me would be so much better if it was if if you had your central character of Chief Garvey, right, mm-hmm. and his role is more or less a, as like a facilitator for the audience, and he's kind of just like 
exploring different things. Like this episode could have been all about him trying to find a disappeared baby Jesus from the nativity scene. Right. Um, and about the interactions that, that then led him to with the different people in the community. And all the while, just in the background, you have these characters wearing all white and smoking all the time. Yeah. But you never go into their compound. Yeah. Or you're never like you're never talking with them face to face or whatever. And instead, they're more like sort of like set dressing in the background. Um, and I feel like the show would just be so much better if you had that. And then you could still have the sort of one-off episodes of Matt, where it's like you have this entire episode and weird things are happening, but ultimately they're pretty much all solved by the end of the episode, or at least you're given enough to where you can speculate on what the answers are pretty confidently. Uh, but then, but instead what we're getting is like, like I think I it would be great to have a Nora episode. Where it's like the entire episode is like Matt. You're following Nora around. You end up learning a lot about Nora, and then you, and then she just ends up with the scene in the hallway at the high school in right. one episode. Or you get like the interaction with Matt, where you know we just spent an hour with Matt in the last episode, and he gets less than thirty seconds in this episode. You know what I mean? But instead, I feel like what we're going to get is Nora's storyline stretched out over a season or five seasons or whatever, and ultimately it's just. It's it's kind of traditional, right? Mm-hmm. I just feel like it's going to be underwhelming. It's just not going to be as satisfying. Like I don't think Matt's storyline would be as satisfying if it was told in five minutes chunks over the course of a season. Yeah, I think, and 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 I won't go long on this just because you know I I, I like sticking to the show that it is, but but it's fun yeah. to it's fun to think about what you're saying. And I think at some point we are going to get to we are going to get to a place where a writer realizes that there truly are no limitations in what you can write for television or, or movies, especially for television now that budgets are going up, and they get truly kind of um, uh, you know kind of driven. And what they do is they make a sprawling show. And like you referenced Welcome to Night Vale. Or, mm-hmm. or there's a book that I gave you not too long ago called the Spoon River Anthology mm-hmm. that kind of looks at these different characters all in this town, this you know Spoon River. And they say, okay, we are going to do episodic television. Like you said, there will be a larger narrative that we're going to hint at. Mm-hmm. But we're going to explore it through these individual characters, right. through these individual stories. And hey, if season two has a completely different cast than season one... That's fine. If season one, like Ned Stark, you know, the main character gets killed off, then he gets killed off. But the mm-hmm. story itself is still going to unspool. And you kind of see that with True Detective or with Fargo, the last two t- television series that have announced that if they do multiple uh, seasons, mm-hmm. that they will follow different characters, yeah. all with the same theme. But nobody has tied that into one narrative yet. Yeah. And that's what we were talking about. I think that's. I think that'd be great. I think that'd be really kind of ballsy and and exciting to see on television. I think we're getting to the point where money is going to be there for people to do ambitious projects like that. And it seems to fit with this model of, just like with True Detective, film stars coming to do TV that maybe not want to spend 10 years of their life doing it, you know? So you mm-hmm. could set up this kind of rotating you know, cast of characters. I guess ER maybe would, would hint at a, something like that. Mm-hmm. But doing it, I agree with you, like in a city, 
or a town to be interesting. Yeah, and and you've got you've got the you've got the backdrop of this huge mystery that's probably never going to be solved or explained. You don't then need to start adding a bunch of other mysteries that are going to be strung out over four or five episodes or a season or multiple seasons or whatever. Yeah. I also want to end with a prediction. So just like that Vox article, and, and I know AV Club, uh, the, the the writer there will do some, um, like a prediction. Yeah. So here's my crazy prediction. Um I was trying to make it a point to uh, think about if Kevin is driving the hunter's truck, if that means anything. Mm -hmm. So here's why I think it is. I wonder if later on we're going to reveal that Kevin is... Because the hunter at the end of episode two, right, invites Kevin to come with him to go kill dogs. Right kill more dogs what was it, a week later i can't remember that's i was thinking about that after i or after i was reading something but i didn't get a chance to look it up or go back but yeah he definitely does so that kind of surprised me that we didn't get to see that right because i thought that was something they were building up to also in episode one you have uh the dead dog in his trunk that he mm-hmm. drove around with that he kind of forgot about i guess mm-hmm. um that's in the police vehicle that jill finds i think that um he is having like dissociative episodes now. So when he gets in that truck and the fact that he'd even feel comfortable driving it is bizarre. Yeah. You know, the fact that he's like, Oh yeah, he's driving that truck now. Yeah. So this is the truck of a guy that no one believes is real and believe that I'm all imagining. I'm going to drive it. I'm going to drive it. (laughs) I'll be okay. And no one's going to think twice about it. So again, either poor writing or he's getting in there and he is, like killing dogs on his own. He has his own little thing going on. He may or may not even realize that he's really doing it. You know, um, he may get, be getting into that truck and having, like I said, disassociating with who he is mm-hmm. and becoming this hunter, or this mm-hmm. other person carrying out these missions. So that's my prediction for a later uh, episode. We're going to see that he is actually um, taking on another character mm-hmm. in, that, in that truck. Okay, so I got a list off of the AV Club. I, I kind of went down to the, the the comments, and I found this guy who really hit the the the, the nail on the head. Yeah. To to the point where I really wanted to um, kind of address some of these or go through them really quickly. Yeah. Uh, his name is Sergeant Shlomo. Yeah. And you know, his first one that he talks about is. Uh, if you made a drinking game of how many times you heard the F word on the show, you die of alcohol poisoning. And he's like, I'm a guy who likes to use the F word a lot too. And I'm like, that's Thank you. That's exactly how I feel. I don't know if they are trying to like dress the show up for HBO or dress it down, so to speak, or if the fact that they are so uncomfortable with their religious kind of content that they have to inject so much of that they're trying to offset it you know it's like a little boy who found a new toy and all he can do is play with it he's like i got the i found the f word it's amazing um but i i really do hope that again they kind of go with nuance a little more i don't mind it Mm -hmm. you know throw in efforts as you want but to have him be saying the f word when he's talking to the mayor about the baby jesus doll and say the f word when he's yelling at his and the mayor uses it a lot too and the mayor's using it and and 
Tom uses it a lot. Tommy's using it when he's yelling at Christine. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just want to say you're devaluing any impact that you have with that. Like, just just scale it back a little bit. Um, Also, Tommy sure got Christine out of the hospital easily. Christine is also a bit too aloof for my taste. It's good to see Tommy's over his crush. Now he should abandon her. And I do, <laughs> I yeah. do feel, and, and I like the idea that like, um, what is tying these people together? Right. You know, the, these, these two together. Um, it, because you're, you're really playing two sides of the fence with the antagonism that they have, but also this love that they still have for each other mm. or whatever. It's such a bizarre. Well, yeah. And it's a, and a belief in, and you've got two, you've got, he has apparently this like pure hatred for her now. Plus he's even questioning the whole cult and Wayne's ideas and everything. It's like when you combine those two things, I wouldn't expect him to like sort of buckle down and then, you know, sort of be re-energized about his quest to keep her safe. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So I'm, I'm going to condense a few others just in one sentence. He, he talks about, you know, what we talked about before the target on people's heads. Mm-hmm. Like how can you, Oh, you know, Tommy has a target on his head. No one will see him now. Right. It, it, it just makes no sense, especially going after her. Right. right. And that was the question is like, is she in a different hospital now? She, because yeah. there's no way he could just be chased out of a hospital because everyone thinks he's beating a woman to then just re-entering the same hospital and going right. into a room. Sergeant Shlomo also doesn't believe... The nihilistic teens are actually nihilistic. Right. He thinks they're just jerks. Yeah, they're I just agree. teenagers. Um, <laughs> and then finally, finally, well, well, the the, the last two and, and the one I want to end on is is his last point too. But um, he says the guilty remnant uh, are crossing the line from silent stalkers into domestic terrorists, and he's like, that's why I'm tuning it. And I think, yeah, he he's onto something. And we're getting to the point where. Again, if you support the guilty remnant or if you still identify with them, please let us know yeah. why. What is it about them that is is speaking to you? Yeah. Because they clearly are starting to cross lines mm-hmm. and it seems like they're willing to go further. If I had to project, they're going to do more things than just take your digital photos, other frames. <laughs> uh, finally... He said, this show is so dis- disjointed, HBO doesn't do next week on, <laughs> yeah. uh, but in the coming weeks teasers. <laughs> I guess it's easier to bombard the viewer with numerous clips and images than to try to explain what's coming up. I think that's absolutely right. It's yeah. like you're, you feel like what your story is so impressionistic or whatever that you just need to like just flash these images. So someone's going to be burning again later on in the season you know, Meg is going to be chopping down another tree or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just feel like saying <clears throat> just what's coming up next. Yeah. Right. Either do a Mad Men. These are all just contextless scenes from the next episode or be a little more forthcoming in what we're going to see or don't do it at all. You know, but don't do these like in the coming weeks. Mm-hmm. I don't remember half of what I saw there, but also I'm like. You're, you're probably spoiling a, bo- a bunch if I go back and actually right. look at it carefully. The exciting parts of the n- upcoming episodes. Yeah, and I don't actually watch those. so the- I do because I read the book and I'm right. kind of like interested. Like, I feel like I kind of know the narrative. Yeah, and, and all I, uh, what I remember from that is, is, and this is something we'll talk about in a minute, but, but last at the end of last week's episode, a lot of people in the discussion thread were being like, 
next week epi- next week's episode looks crazy or looks insane like i'm so excited for next week's episode <laughs> and then like a little bit further down i see someone being like you know that's like a compilation of the rest <laughs> of the season <laughs> and i was like are they just doing that as like because sometimes i think uh shows will do that like mid season or whatever right but it seems like they're doing that after every episode i guess so that's the show for this for this week uh Last week, Keith wrote something and posted it on the website about sort of, are we nitpicking the show or does it deserve it more or less? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, and I, I wanted to write something in response to it, but I you know just didn't have the time. But I think it's an interesting question of, is this something, are these things that we're just bothered by because we don't like the show or we don't like the episode? Or is it something that... Uh, is is genuinely bothersome like would these things be an issue if everything else about the show was amazing right and it's you know it's good it's an interesting read so you know i i would recommend go to the website sort of leave a comment let us know what you think yeah and 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 the one point of that that i really pulled back from uh is is basically you know like i i called it the devil's in the details and part of that is because i feel like details do matter you know, like, you know, little things add up. And yeah. I think th- I think they, they do. They, they should matter. But to what extent right. and, and who determines what is a small detail or what is something that's like, OK, buddy, pull it back now. Like, yeah. I don't care about people's hair, you know, <laughs> in, in, yeah. in the show or whatever. Yeah. But you can find that on brownbluewhite.com and just look for the everything left over link. And it's on there. Uh, we also do, an- I just want to do a quick plug for, uh, we do another podcast that's kind of our main podcast, and it's called Everything is Interesting, and it's it's kind of about everything, as the title would imply, but we talk about movies, books, music, whatever, uh, but look it up on iTunes, if you go to Brown Blue White to read the article, you can find it there as well, but I just wanted to mention that very quickly, we should have an episode of that out soon, Um and other than that, you know, uh, a lot of people have mentioned the music for the episode, for the show. They really like that. All of that stuff you can find in the description for the episode within your whatever you're listening to this on or just go to brownbluewhite.com. Uh, but until next time, you can find us on Twitter. I am at Blizzard with nine Zs. Keith is at Things Come Right. Until Um, I think of something better. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, until then, we will see you next week. Week. Monday or Tuesday.